0: for this day, for your love and your faithfulness to us. Lord, we thank you as we sang to you this morning, Lord, that, 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 that you are our Father and there's a place with you right there next to you as we are in your Son, as he's seated at your right hand and we are seated there with him and with you in heavenly places. What an incredible privilege that you've given to us that we should be called sons of God. Your word says, Behold, what strange manner of love is this, that we should be called sons and daughters of the living God. Father, thank you so much. And we thank you, Lord, that as we live in these difficult and perilous times, that we have a great hope and that great hope is that our Savior who is sitting at your right hand now will soon stand up and come back for us and your word tells us that there's coming a day when it will be asked who is worthy to open the scroll and we know the answer ahead of time as we sang today He, our Lord, alone is worthy and so Lord as we turn our eyes to your word this morning. We're asking you by the Holy Spirit to speak to us what each one of us needs to hear. The church needs to hear something because Jesus talked to churches in the book of Revelation and he said, this, hear, he who has ears to hear, hear what the Spirit is saying to this church. Seven different churches he spoke, seven different messages to them. So may we hear what the Spirit is saying to Faith Christian Center today. And may we personally and individually hear what he's saying to us today. To do that, Lord, I submit myself as best I know how to allow your Spirit to guide my words and my heart that I may only speak what your heart and your Spirit wants to speak today. So may we have eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to grasp what the Spirit is saying to us today. And for that, we give you thanks in advance. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Well, we began a study several weeks ago, actually towards the beginning of this year. It comes out of 2 Corinthians 5 or 7, where Paul writes to the church at Corinth and says these words to us, for we walk by faith and not by sight. There was a trend about the time that, that I became the senior, actually before I became the senior pastor here, there was a trend among young preachers, young pastors, and churches that have been around for a while that had new pastors take over with a new vision, and, and they, they, would, they would change the name of the church, and I think that's great. So you have elevation churches, you have vertical churches, I don't think there are any horizontal ones, We may have horizontal believers, but there we have churches with names that are, that are not religious sounding names. And I really prayed about it. I said, Lord, should we do that? Should we come forth with a fresh vision and with a fresh name? And it's a great strategic idea, but I'm not going to do something that I don't believe God is calling us to do. Because then it's man's idea. We're drawing from the principles of the world, and there's nothing wrong with using them if this is what God is saying to do. And I just could never get the sense to do that. Great idea. I would, you know, would have loved to come up with some you know nice, catchy name. And I began to think about it. The name that God gave Pastor Sam is so fundamental that I don't want to let it go: Faith, Christian and center. There's a significance to each one of those words. But the first word, the most important word is we are faith. Community, and we're living at a time when, and come through periods of time when faith is kind of passe. It's like, oh, okay. Well, we we went through that phase. Well, we better not have gone through a phase, because we're going to see today again how critical faith is. But it's more critical today than maybe any other time. And I'll end by highlighting this if I ever get into the real message, (laughs) for we walk by faith and not by sight. And what we've seen is this verse, and another verse we'll look at, is telling us when we walk, walk is a step you take, one step at a time. And it kind of implies like one day at a time, one hour at a time, one moment at a time. We are to walk, live our life every moment by faith. It doesn't mean you have to be speaking faith scriptures. It doesn't mean you have to be thinking faith. But we're living by reliance on God's promises every day. Whether you realize it or not, you are. But the rest of it says, and not by sight. That's in there for a purpose, because you can't be doing both. Sight refers to relying on your five senses. And we looked at the definition that Bible gives in Hebrews 11.1 1 of what faith is, and I'm going to just boil it down to its most simplistic form. It's this. Faith is what gives you the confidence that the things that God's promised you and the things about God that exist in a spirit realm you can't see, that those things are just as substantial as things your five senses can see. Your five senses tell you whether something's real or not. Things of this natural realm. So you know that chair is real because you can feel it. I know this pulpit is real because I can feel it. My senses confirm that it has substance or reality. But there's a whole realm out there that exists that's more real than this, and that's the spirit realm. God is a spirit being. And, the, and heaven is a spiritual place. Spiritual doesn't mean fuzzy and ethereal and, and like Casper the ghost. It's real, but it's in a realm your senses can't detect. So faith takes the place of our five senses when it comes to establishing our confidence in the reality and the substance of everything in that spirit realm. And that includes God's existence. That includes God's promises. That includes heaven. That includes hell. That includes everything that the Bible talks about that's in that other realm of existence. And so we begin to look at why is this so critical to learn. So there's an antithesis here. Your five senses cannot give you any information about God or the things of God or the promises of God. Your five physical senses are absolutely essential when you drive home today. You better know when you pull out on 195 that there's not a semi right where you want to go. And you know that because your sight confirms that. But you, when it comes to the things of God, you've got to leave your five senses out of it because they're not designed by God. They're not capable of confirming the reality of God or God's senses. And then we looked at the most important thing why faith is important is because the Bible says in Hebrews eleven six. 6, without faith it is impossible. Not hard. It is impossible. Possible to please God. Goes on to say, because in order to come to God, you have to believe that He exists. And you can't confirm that by seeing Him, putting your arms around Him, or feeling His arms around you. You can only confirm that by faith. And then the second part of it is, and that He is a rewarder. He responds to us, to those that diligently seek Him. So it takes faith to have a relationship with God. I mean, a real relationship. You can have a re- religious relationship, but that's all mental. But a real living relationship with God requires Faith First of all, to believe he's really here, listen to me, and secondly, why would he listen to me? Because I know me, but the Word of God says, "I am in Christ, and in Christ I in Christ. I am as righteous and holy as Christ is." That's what God's word says, but I look at myself many times and say, "I ain't that righteous at all, and never will be, but I've got to put faith in what God says more than what I sense about my self. So we've looked at that, and now what we're going to begin to look to, we sort of started it last week, and then it just, the Spirit of God just expanded this, and this is why I want to take some time to do this, because this is so critical to where we are as a church, not just Faith Christian Center, because we're facing tremendous uncertainties, and if we don't learn to walk by faith and not by sight, we won't make it. I'm just going to be that honest with you. So we're going to look at a story that we've taught many times before. 1 Corinthians 10, you're not going to turn there, but 1 Corinthians 10 tells us this story that we're going to begin to go over, that this story is in the Bible, not for historical purposes, but it's in there as an example to us so that we would learn something. So what we're going to talk about today is for our benefit to learn something from it. And if we won't learn from it, well, we better. Let's put it that way. And so we're going to give you a little bit of background. We're picking up... This story is God delivering His people, Israel, from the bondage of Egypt. But just a quick background. God led them into Egypt 430 years earlier through a story that's in the book of Genesis of Joseph. And he led them there because he knew there was a famine coming, and he led them into Egypt so that through the Egyptians, God would provide for his people. The Bible tells us there were about 70 that went into Egypt. And then Exodus begins by telling us that the Pharaoh that they knew when they went there had passed away, and the new Pharaoh didn't understand who they were. And in the process of 400-plus years, the Israelites, the Jews, Hebrews, had grown to be more numerous than the Egyptians and so much more powerful than the Egyptians that Pharaoh said, I'm afraid of them. So that If they wake up and realize who they are, they're going to put us into bondage, so I better make them slaves. And the Hebrews allowed... There's a whole message in this the Hebrews allowed somebody that was not as great as they were to put them into bondage. They submitted to someone else's slavery. I believe they did it because they got comfortable. Because they were being fed and provided for and protected. God provided that for them, but they overstayed their need. Instead of seeing God as their source, they began to see Egypt as their source. Now understand this, Egypt represent, to us represents the world, the world's way of doing things, the world's system of finances, the world's value, the world's, the world's scientific methods. And so they overstayed their need to be there. And finally, after 400 plus years, they got fed up with it and they cried out to God. But in the process, Egypt got into them. It got into their senses. The food that they ate, because they, they ate food that the Egyptians provided for them. Egypt was a, was a nation of, of highly developed science and medicine. In fact, our scientists and doc, medical have not, there's some things they were able to do, they still don't know how they did them. Yeah, right. They were that, but it was all mental. And so, but they worshipped over 2,000 gods. So if they had a need for something, they created their own god to meet that need. And then what they did to worship that god, they built a physical image that their five senses, this is very important, that their five senses could see so that they could worship something that they could, they, they worship something because they couldn't see these gods because they don't exist. So they made a physical image so that their five senses could confirm from them that that God had substance. You following me? And was real to them. So they made something that their five senses could detect that they now worshipped as God. And God's covenant people spent three generations after they first went down there immersed in this, saturated with this, so when they cried out for God to deliver them, first of all, this is another whole series, God was already ready for them. He was waiting for them until they cried out for deliverance. And God already had their deliverer, Moses, 80 years into his preparation to lead them. Jesus said in, John, in, in Matthew chapter 6, he says, we're talking about prayer, don't you know, Your father knows what you need before you ask him? He's already prepared the answer. He just waits for you to ask. James chapter 4 says, You have not because God didn't provide. No, you have not because you ask not. So they cried out, God is a deliverer. And you know the story, through ten miraculous things God did, the Egyptians kick them out, basically. And they're delivered. So we're going to pick the story up. That's the background. Now God had a destiny and a purpose for His people. Why He formed them to begin with through Abraham. And now God is recommissioning them on this purpose. And part of that purpose is God had assigned a particular geographical place for them, which we call Palestine. And one of the reasons God did that. One of the reasons God did that. It was a crossroads of the major trade routes from the east to the west. Because while this is going on, while this is going on, those the the the, the far east and Asia was already prospering with great wealth, and there were trade routes that established back into the east, and they crossed their path. Guess where? Right in Palestine. So God was establishing His own his own nation so that the people that traveled back from the wealth of the east, the far east, to bring it back would pass through their land and they would see the incredible prosperity and wealth of this land compared to where they come from and they want to know who is your emperor? Who is your king? And God's plan was they would say, our king is Jehovah. You see how good he's been to us? You see how generous he's been to. That was God's plan. So there was imperative, not only for their well-being that they get into this place God provided for them, but it was. Listen carefully. It was imperative for God's plan for the world that they go there. For ultimately, God planned for His Son to be born in that place. So you and I had a stake and whether they got into that place or not. God's plan for the whole world determined was based on whether they got in there. And I suggest to you God still has a plan and a purpose for this world, and God's destiny for this church is critical on whether He can carry out His plan on whether we do what we're here to do. Now, it's interesting. We're going to see that this journey took them 40 years. Deuteronomy chapter 1 verse 2 tells us that the journey was 11 days. They took 40 years to go on an 11-day journey. That sounds like some people's lives, I know. Why? Why? Well, the Bible tells us God said, I can't take them on the short route. Listen, because I know them. Because if they go on the short route, they're going to run across enemies. They're going to scare them. And because they have lived for four generations in a nation that saturated them with idolatry and saturated them in their senses... Because they've lived in this, the moment they see any kind of threat or obstacle, they're going back to Egypt. And we're going to see that. That's exactly what they were like. But God knew, listen carefully, this is such a great lesson for us. God knew them so well, He couldn't take them by the shortest route. He wanted to. Maybe there's something God wants to do in your life that He could do quickly And promptly, but he knows you well enough to know because you're not walking by faith and you're walking by sight. The moment you see an obstacle, you'll quit and give up. So we had to take them by a route that the original plan was to take a year and to take that time so that God could train them every day to walk by faith in what he said that's the journey and the, pur- the purpose for the journey that we're going to, we're going to follow today. So, so let's, he had to teach them to trust in his words, not what they saw. He had to lead them on a journey of training. Now, I've mentioned this many times before. There's a difference between teaching and training. Those of you who went through basic training. They didn't call it basic teaching. They called it basic training. You went through classroom time where they taught you principles, but then they would take you out on the, out on the, out on the obstacle course. The tra- teaching is passing information. Training is changing your behavior by disciplining you. So the first thing you learn is you don't control when you get up anymore. You don't control your hairstyle anymore. You don't control what clothes you wear anymore. In fact, you don't control nothing. Your drill sergeant controls your life. And it's to get across to you that if you're in in the military, if you're in a battle, you have to obey your orders. And this is what God was training them. But He didn't send them a drill sergeant. He used their appetite to help them. And we're going to see this first generation did not learn. So let's go to Exodus 16. They're now out in the... Out of, out in the um, they've crossed the Red Sea. They're now out into the wilderness. And we're going to pick up uh, in verse 1. And they journeyed from Elam, and all the congregation of the children of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin between Elam and Sinai. And on the fifteenth day of the second month, So this is 10 weeks out. They've only been out 10 weeks. Uh, After they departed from the land of Egypt, then the whole congregation, the whole congregation of the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. One of the signs you're walking by sight and not by faith is when you complain. When you find yourself complaining, you're not walking by faith. You're walking by your five senses. And, I, and just it opens the door to things you don't want to get into. The whole congregation complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. Verse 3. And the children of Israel said... Listen to what they said. Oh, that we died in the land... Oh, that we died... Uh, wait, I lost my place. Oh, that we died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. And when we sat by the pots of meat. And when we ate the bread... Notice it's their appetite... They're longing for the food of Egypt. They seem to have forgotten they were slaves. They seem to have forgotten the whip, the lashes on their backs. They seem to have forgotten they didn't control their lives. They seem to have forgotten that they worked tirelessly and and many of them died. They didn't realize, they forgot that they were working for somebody else's vision, not God's vision. All they can think about is their food their stomach. Oh, that we died by the hand of the Lord in Egypt. We sat by the pots of meat, and we ate the bread to full. For you, for you have brought it. Now they're turning against their, pa- their leaders, not their pastor, their leaders, excuse me. For you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. They're talking to God! And Moses, who was God's representative. Then the Lord said to Moses... All right, I'm going to fix this. I'm going to rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a certain, a certain quota every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. The word law there means my word. God wants to, is training them to obey his word. And I'm going to just simplify this for time's sake. But God's saying, okay, you, you need food, I want to provide food, but I'm going to provide it for you in a way that will train you to trust me. Because I'm not going to give you a month's worth of food at once. I'm not going to give you a week's worth of food at once. I'm going to give you enough for each day just for that day. So in the morning, a dew will settle down. And you can go out and you can gather it up, you can eat it into dough and bake your bread. But you can only gather enough for your family for that day. Because if you gather more for the second day, that second day will rot. Why would God do that? Because God wanted them to learn to trust Him every day. The only reason they would collect up two or three days' worth is they weren't sure God would provide for them tomorrow. And just to drive it home, God said on the sixth day, you can collect two days' worth. Because on that seventh day, that's a Sabbath day of rest and you can't go out and collect anything. So that seventh day, that sixth day, the second one won't rot because I told you to go do it. But if you do it because you want to do it to provide for yourself, it'll rot. So God was... Listen carefully. God was training them with a very basic thing to to obey, to trust His Word for their literal life, for the food they were going to eat every day for about 10 months. Not only that, well, I'm getting ahead of myself. We've got to move on. Let's go to Numbers 13. Now we're going to move forward. That was about six, ten weeks into the, two and a half months into their journey. Now we're going to go to, um, now we're going to go to the end of their first year. And they've now come up, to the edge of this promised land. So what are they going to do? They send four spies. Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said to them, go up this way into the south and go up to the mountains. I'm going to have to move forward quickly, so uh, don't move forward with the verses. I'm going to summarize it and then I'll tell you where to to pick up. So what what they do is they, they send 12 spies to go check. They're now on the border of this land. And God's already told them a number of times there are people there. In fact, one of the purposes God had for them going in there was to drive those people out because they were so ungodly. And God warns them, who tells them who they are. And then God says, Don't worry about them. I will deliver them, deliver you from them. I will drive them out. The battle's not yours, the battle's mine. So they they have God's word. Listen carefully. They have God's word that regardless of what the enemy looks like there, regardless of the obstacle, God's word is, I will take care of them. So now they send spies in there to verify whether what God said about the land was true or not. And they come back with a report. Not just a report, but physical evidence. Because they've come back with a cluster of grapes that's so big... That it has to be carried on a pole between two men's shoulders, and they come back and give their reports, and we're going to pick up verse twenty-six. Now they departed and came back to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the children of Israel in the wilderness. In Paran and Kadesh, and they brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them, showed them their five senses, they showed them the fruit of the land. So now the people can believe it because they can see the fruit instead of what God said before. Verse 27 They told them and said, We went into the land which you sent us, and truly it does flow with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. In other words, God told us the truth. Isn't that amazing? Look at verse 28. Even though they had the physical evidence, look at this next word. Nevertheless. The word nevertheless is a transition word which means regardless of everything I've just said, throw it out. Because what I'm about to tell you overcomes that. So everything God said, yes, brother, God's word is the truth. I believe God's word from Genesis to Revelation. But... I hurt, but I don't see the answers. But you don't know what it's like, Pastor. But nevertheless, nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. God already told them that. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. Not Anakin, Anak. Verse 29. And the Amalekites, the descendants of Annas, were super large people. And the Amalekites dwell in the land of the south, and the Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Termites, I mean, the Amorites, dwell in the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea along the. God named every one of them before and told them they were there. Verse 30. Then Caleb. Now, Caleb was one of the twelve who saw things through God's eyes. Caleb quieted the people. And before Moses said, No, 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 no. Let us go up and once and take possession. For we're well able to... Look at that word. Over. Overcome means they're there. Overcome means there's obstacles there. Overcome means there's an enemy there and we have to overcome it. But God said, I will be with you and I will enable you to overcome. That's an interesting word, overcome, because seven times Jesus uses that in the book of Revelation, when he writes the letter to seven different churches. And there are different things he says about them, but the one thing he says consistently is, he who overcomes. And then there's a promise. So this is why this is in here for us. Because the man of faith said, I don't care what it looks like, God said we can overcome, and if God said we can overcome, we shall overcome. Because I've learned to walk by faith and not by sight, but the other ten in this whole year, every day trusting God, had not learned this lesson. Verse 31. But the men who'd gone up with him said, We're not able to go up against the people, for they're stronger than we know. Look what's happening. The other ten are looking at what they're not even noticing what God said. They're looking at the giants and the obstacles and comparing themselves to the obstacle. And saying, We're not able to do it. For they're stronger than we are, verse thirty two. And they gave the children of Israel... Look what God calls this. Actually, in Hebrew, it's an evil report. Our unbelief is evil to God. Because it's basically saying, God, I don't trust you. I trust what my senses tell me more than I trust your word. Saying, the land throughout which we've gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants. And the people who saw it in it were men of great stature. And then we saw the giants, the descendants of Anak, came, who came from the giants. And we, look at this, we were like grasshoppers in our own sight. Our own what? Sight. So they compared what their physical eyes saw of the large threatening people in that land, and they compared it what they physically saw of themselves, and they completely discounted God's word about this. And then they rise up and they want to stone Moses and they want to go back again into the world. I mean to Egypt. And I don't have time to go into all of this. There were consequences to this. The consequences were first of all to them, they didn't get in the promised land. God said, "I can and it wasn't punishment, God said, I can't put you in there because you can't walk by faith. They'll devour you. Everything you said about you will come about. So it had a consequence. They never got into their destiny. It had consequences for their children because their children, who now would make it in, had to wait 39 more years before they could get into the land that God had promised them. Why did God have to wait for this generation to die out? Because they never got Egypt out of themselves. So God couldn't fill them with Himself. There's so many Christians out there who still have the world so much in their lives and in their thinking. Not just food and music and entertainment. They're dominated by our senses. Paul uses the word carnal to the church at Corinth. Actually, the same letter where he said, this story is there for you to learn something from it. Because they didn't learn to walk by faith. And here's the essence. Every day was a test. Let's go to run, quickly go over to... Um, oh, and the third consequence is God didn't get His destiny plan fulfilled for them. He had to wait another generation. So let's go over to um, Deuteronomy chapter 8 because now we're going to fast forward to this next generation, the second generation. First generation, they all died off and now their children who were trained now by the same thing for 40 years are now facing the same choice that their parents faced. And God now is rehearsing to them what happened. We're going to pick up, well, verse 1. For every commandment which I command today, you must be careful to observe that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers. And you shall remember the Lord your God who led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and test you, train you, so that you, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep His words or not. Listen to verse 3. So He humbled you, and allowed you to go hungry. Wait a minute. He humbled us and allowed to go hungry. He didn't starve them. He controlled the food they ate. So that they only ate the food He provided for them. Why? Why? He humbled you and allowed you to go hungry so that you, He fed you with the manna. That just means... I don't know what this stuff is... Which you did not know that your nor your fathers know. Look, the whole purpose of this look that He might make you know something that man does not live by bread alone. By our five senses, bread represents what we need in this physical body to sustain us. That man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word, every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Does that verse sound familiar? Somebody else used that verse in the New Testament. When Jesus was tempted by Satan after 40 days of not eating to turn the stones into bread, Jesus' answer was, I don't live by bread alone, but I live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That is one of the most profound statements in the Bible. It's so easy. For years I just read over that and said, yep, 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 until the Spirit of God began to make me just meditate on that. And the power, this world was created by the words of God. We don't have time to get into it today. We will later on. Hebrews 11.3 says, This word is sustained. 11.3, 11.3, 1.3, one, three. says this world is sustained by the word of God that said, let there be, yeah. eons ago. The power of God's word. You're alive and sustained. Your life is sustained because God said, let there be you. And we think we're so smart and powerful. Well, I want to quickly go on. He's, this is the lesson he wants them to learn. That he he wants to learn, look, you need to learn to trust every word that I speak more than what your senses tell you. And learn to rely on my word as if it were the bread for your body. And we, you know, I'm too busy to read the Bible today. There are more important things to do, which is saying, I don't need to live by God's word today, I, I, I'm enough myself. And he reminds them, verse 4, your garments didn't wear out. They're left 40 years in the most hostile land you could have lived in. It's a desert. And it's not sand, it's hard, craggy rock. Some of you have been over there. And and he says, look, your garments didn't wear out 40 years. Nor did your feet swell these 40 years, verse 5 so that you would know in your heart that as a man chastens his son, that word chasten means trains, that as a man trains his son, so the Lord trains you. Therefore you shall keep the commandments or the word of the Lord your God to walk in his ways and to fear him or reverence him. Why? For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks and waters, of fountains and springs that flow out of the valleys and rivers, and with land of barley and wheat. In other words, this is a blessed land. Verse 9, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron, and out of hills you can dig copper. In other words, this land is going to provide everything you need in abundance, and I'm the one that's giving it to you. Verse ten, and when you've eaten, and are full, that's where the church is today. We're full. We're satisfied. We have everything we need. I don't need to walk by faith. Whatever I need, I can provide for myself. If I can't provide it, the church will provide it, or the government will provide it. Whatever I need is going to get provided for me. So I don't need to. I don't need to walk by faith. because I'm taken care of. When you've eaten and are full, then you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which He has given you. Look at this. Beware, verse 11, that you do not forget the Lord your God by keeping His word, His judgments and His statutes which I command you today. Lest when you've eaten and are full and have built beautiful houses and dwell in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply, and your bank accounts full, and your credit cards are paid off, and then you have you had this have all multiplied, then your heart—verse fourteen—your heart is lifted up, and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage who led you through the great and terrible wilderness in which were fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty land where there was no water and he brought water for you out of a flinty rock and he fed you in the wilderness with manna which your fathers did not know that he might humble you and might train you that he could do good to you in the end and then you say in your heart my power and my might and my hand has gained this wealth for me And you shall remember the Lord your God who gives you the power to get wealth that he may establish his covenant that he swore to your fathers in that day. That's where the church is today. Everything we have God has provided for us. And because we think we can do this on our own strength God has a place in our life but it's only when we really get in trouble, or when I'm not too busy. Or, 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 or God's Word, you know, I, I like certain things in God's Word, God's promises of blessing and those things, but, but there's parts of God's Word I don't like, they make me uncomfortable. So I don't, I don't want to, I won't pay attention to those words. So we're at this place, not just Faith Christian Center, and I'm generalizing, many of you are in different places. Those of you watching online, but the church, at least in the United States, by and large, is in this place. We've not learned to live our lives by faith. And here's the thing how do we do that? The same way they did. Every day, there are little tests for you. Every day, if you will be open, the Spirit of God will show you places where you can just trust God and not your own ability. Just trust God. He wants to train you and bring you along. He'll meet you where you are if you'll humble yourself and be honest with Him. He'll bring you to where He wants to take you. God has a purpose for His church in the world today. There are many enemies which are are designed by our adversary to threaten us. And it's becoming more and more clear. I I believe this is so critical because I I, I don't want to be a, 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 a... I'm not a prophet. It doesn't take a prophet to say this. But things are getting tougher for the church. And most likely, they're not getting better most likely we will begin to be persecuted. We're already pressured by legislation and people's attitude. So there's going to come a time when, when your faith will be tested. And if you wait till then, I don't know what you're going to do. But if you learn to develop your faith for the little things, and we'll talk down the road about how, how to do that, but it starts by waking up and realizing where we are. Back in the 19th century, there was a German man who got saved. He was a, um, he was a, his father wanted to be an officer. He got saved. He left the military, went over to England, and got saved. And God began to deal with him. Actually, he was on his own. His name is George Mueller. And he began to realize that the church had lost confidence that God actually will fulfill His promises. So George Mueller was on his heart to have an orphanage. But he decided this, I want to prove to the world that God's faithful to His promises. So I'm going to build this orphanage, or God's going to build this orphanage through me, and He's going to sustain this orphanage without me ever asking anybody for anything. And it grew to the place where there were over 2,000 children fed, clothed in multiple locations, and he never asked anybody for a dime except God. But he didn't get there overnight. He got, began with little things. He would say, "Look, I, I had to learn to trust God for my first dollar for this venture." He said, but the same confidence I have that God will provide a dollar now, I have that God will provide a million dollars now. But I wasn't there to start out with. He didn't accept where he was. He didn't accept where the church was. Those who learn to walk by faith in God's promises will endure. These tests are won or lost in our everyday choices. Let's go to Hebrews 10, and we'll end with this verse which we started with several weeks ago. And now you can begin to see why this is so critical. Now they're up here. Therefore do not cast away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, and we're going to need more endurance as we go forward, so that after you've done the will of God, you may receive the promise. And this is a quote. For yet a little while he who is coming, that's Jesus, will come and he will not tarry. And the just, this is the same thing as Second Corinthians 5, 7, the just shall live, not get saved by, not be healed by, that includes all of those things. The just shall live every moment of every day by faith in God's Word. But if anyone draws back my soul, has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition, that means destruction, but those who believe to the saving of the soul. There is need to endure. And we will endure really only to the measure that we've learned to walk by faith. The good news is there's time. If you've been lazy and if you've been... And we all slip into us, so I have to deal with this. I'm going to end with this quick testimony. We're only over a bit. When we first got saved, I was working, as you know, in a large law firm in Boston making two and a half times what we needed to spend. So we were flush with money, had a nice house and a nice community. And I'm, so I'm saved. And God begins to deal with me One of the first things God dealt with me is He's my source. And I discovered this concept in the Bible called the tithe, which was interesting until I found out what it meant. I still don't remember, because I got paid once a month. And that first check came in, and I'm looking at the check, and I'm calculating 10% of that, and the most I think I'd ever given was $10. And I was one of the big givers in our church. Because I was a deacon. I know what they gave. And I decided I'm either going to obey or I'm going to disobey. And I'm so glad that I decided just to obey. Regardless, I'm going to take God at His word. God's word says if you do this, and you put me first in your finances, then I will provide everything you need in abundance. So I decided to test this out. I got to the point where it was, once a year they would give you a raise because it was a large firm, they would review all the associates and they would come up. So I picked a figure. And it was something I could believe for. And I said, God, this, you're my source. They're not, this firm is not my source. This is what I would like for a raise this year. And I didn't say it to anybody else. And they came in and one of the partners came in and sat in with me the review was over. And he said, John, we appreciate your work. So, and this is, this is, he hands me a slip. This is what we're going to give you as a raise. And I looked at it and it was half of what I asked God for. I looked up and said, "Thank you very much. I'm very grateful." I went home and I went to God. I wasn't angry. I wasn't complaining because all our knees were met. I said, "But God, this is not what I asked you for. If I'm wrong, let me know. This is not what I asked you for." And all God said was, "Will you trust me?" You asked me, "Will you?" Tr-? See where a lot of people quit because I got physical evidence that God didn't answer my prayer. He said, "Will you trust me?" I said, "Yes, sir." Just he said. You, just. Two weeks later, they come back to me, he said, "We made a mistake." we discover we're underpaying our associates, the new associates, so we have to, we have to change the, 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 the whole structure of our associates' pay. So this is what we're going to give you now. It turned out to be exactly what I asked God for. Now, now it gets better. That happened to me three different times. We went to, we went to Bible school. Long story, I went through our money because I thought I wasn't supposed to work. Went through all our money, we're broke. And God provided $100 every time we needed it. One week there was $100, and somebody sent me a a, a card saying, we forgot we borrowed $100 for you before you left, here's the money. That was enough to pay our bills. The next week there was a check card from somebody saying, "Um, uh, uh, we're just thinking of you, hope maybe you could use us, another check for $100. I got this figured out. The next Saturday, I go to the mailbox. Mm, Nothing there. Long story short, I discovered that the law firm that I had left had contacted somebody out there and there was a job waiting for me I didn't know about. So I go to interview. I'm still in school, so I've got to be able to go to school. And I know we're going a little over time, but this is worth it. And I, I I, I go to school. I'm in school, so I can't just go work for a job. This is a law firm. And the guy says, look, I'll hire you on an hourly basis. You can work from home. But I looked at what that was going to be, and I, I thanked him very much, and I said, that's, I appreciate it because in my mind, that that's, that's less than half of what we need. I get up the next morning, and I'm getting ready to go to school, and the Lord starts speaking to me. He said, what about that job? I said, well, he said, w- "Were the hours good?" He said, they were perfect. Did you have favor there? I said, yeah, I had great favor there. He said, why didn't you take it? He said, I didn't pay enough. And I caught myself. He said, the Lord said, do you think I can make up the difference? I said, forgive me, Lord. So I took the job. But we're only making, I'm only making half of what we need. And things are getting tighter and tighter and tighter and tighter and tighter. And it always made this decision, I will never ask a person for the raise. I will go to God because he's, my, he's the one I work for. And I've still never done that. And I went to... So it got to the point one Friday morning... Almost six months later, I'm saying, God, I would be irresponsible at this point not to say something to them. So at the end of the day, I'm going to go talk to the senior partner, and I'm going to say, look, I need some help. I'm sitting down with my coffee with my file in front of me. The senior partner walks in and closes the door and sits down. He said, John, when you came to work here, we didn't know what to do with you. A lot of people felt that way, but I mean... (laughs) Because we didn't know how to fit you into our scheme here. And we've decided that we're not paying you enough. So I'm going to double what we're paying you starting today. I said, wow, thank you. He gets up to leave, whoops, and he opens the door and goes out. He says, oh, wait a minute. He comes back in. He pulls an envelope out of his pocket. He says, and here's a check for the difference of what we should have been paying you all along and walked out. That money's long gone, but I'm reliving that experience now, God's faithfulness. I'm not going to take the time, but I worked in a third law firm where the exact same thing happened again. Because I made a decision early on. God, you're my source. And I'm going to tithe, and I'm going to do what you say to do, but when things get tight, it's your problem, not my problem, because you're the one I work for, not this law firm, not this church, not any person. You use them as a channel to meet our needs. That you might learn that man does not live by bread alone. But God wants us to learn to live every day by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Let's pray. Father, we come to you today and ask you to take the word that we've heard today and begin to sow it deep into our heart. We've read how you train the people of Israel and how you've trained others to trust in your word so that you can overcome for them And you can fight the battle for them. And Lord, we're at a time when your church, in this nation at least, and if not around the world, is on the brink of, if not already stepping into, a very different season. Where there will be more obstacles to overcome in order to accomplish what you've put us here to do. And so you require a people who learn to walk by more confidence in your word than in the things that we see. We thank you that as we sang earlier, you're our Father and you love us. And you will train us and you will meet us where we are. So help us to be honest and humble ourselves before you and acknowledge where we are and then help you to come And to begin to work in us because your word says that you are at work in us. Both to will and to do your good pleasure. And So we ask you this by faith. Expecting you to do it. In Jesus name, amen.